one-chapter books of the Bible, all right? So a little bit of a pun there, obviously. Uh, some of the writers even wrote more than one book, so it's a little bit uh, deceiving in that way. But uh, we're looking at all of the uh, one-chapter books. So Obadiah in the Old Testament, you may not have even heard of that book before. Uh, Philemon, which we're studying today and next week. Uh, Jude, Second John, and Third John. And so we'll take a walk through each one of those and look at what it means for our life. So if you want to grab that, turn there. We're going to stick in Philemon today. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, if you physically don't own a Bible, uh, we would invite you to take that Bible and to keep that. That's our gift to you. Uh, we want you to have the word, be able to read it throughout the week. And so please feel free to uh, use that to really dig into God's word. You can also follow along your smartphone if you wish. Uh, if you have the version app, or some people call it the Bible app, in the tab section, click on live, type in the well Austin, and you'll be able to follow along that way. Uh, there's all the scripture for today, places to take notes, stuff like that. Um, if you don't have the Bible app, but you still want to follow along on your phone, you could take this link, put it right into your browser, and then you'll be able to follow along that way. We want to give you many different ways in which you can look at the word. And the reason why is we want you seeing the word in front of you, because we want you to see that this isn't just me or, or Bob or whoever kind of coming up, coming up with some ideas, but that we're actually digging into the word, trying to draw out, out of the text what is there. And we want you to see that for yourself too. We think that God's word is powerful. It has uh, opportunity to change our hearts and change our lives. And so um, I'm excited about that. Um, yeah, so we'll just dive right in. Um, Philemon, well, let's do this. Before we dive in, let me give you a little bit of background first. Um, I think that Philemon is a very fascinating book for a couple of different reasons. One, uh, Philemon was uh, one of the leaders in a church in Colossae. So there were probably a few churches in Colossae. That's where the book of Colossians was written to, was that region, that area. Uh, Philemon was one of the leaders of one of those churches. It actually met in his house, okay? And Paul is writing to Philemon about Onesimus, who is actually a runaway slave of his, okay? And we'll talk about what that means, the implications of that in a moment. But, so there's this really weird dialogue that's happening there, this, this really interesting uh, story of Philemon being a very solid, godly leader, as we can see throughout Scripture, and this little weird controversy that's going on. And so I think it has a lot of implications for us in our life, all right? Now, let me say real quick as a complete and utter side note, not sermon related, all right? But it just flashed my mind. I should have wrote it in my notes so I could start with this. Let me say this. Last week, Julia came here uh, at Campbell and y'all showed an overwhelming amount of support to her and to the school. And I personally want to say thank you for that big time, okay? Julia actually had 14 different people come to her and say, hey, I'd be interested. I think I can volunteer and do that. And when you look at the size of our church, 14 is over 10% of our church, right? And so I'm very, very thankful for you all for blessing them in that way. Um, not only do I think that we can bless the kids, but I also think that's a great way to bless the teachers because the people that we're interacting with, the students that we're interacting with are probably uh, a little bit harder to deal with, if you will, as a teacher. And so the fact that we're investing in them lives or blessing the teachers, as obviously blessing this student's family, uh, be it his parents, or maybe he lives with aunts or uncles or grandparents, and is blessing that family. Uh, it's really blessing our relationship that the school sees that we really are about trying to bless this community, about uh, reaching out to East Austin, one of the ways being by really blessing this very community that we meet in. And so I just wanted to say, as your pastor, thank you. That's huge. Uh, I can't stress enough the value of being able to really honor the kids. I know that many more of you came and said you wanted to do something, but lunch just wasn't a good time for you? And, and were there other things that you can do? My answer is yes. Okay, we'll, we'll still be doing other things in Campbell, but I just want to say thank you guys very much uh, for doing that. All right, back to Philemon. We ready? Here we go. 
Philemon, um, let's uh, start here in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, there's something very interesting about this letter that we can even see kind of starting out from the get-go. All right? In every one of other Paul's letters, he uses his apostolic authority and even introduces that about himself. So what he'll say is, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And the reason that he says that in the other letters is because being an apostle carried with it some weight. Being an apostle, you could uh, create commands, you could uh, create uh, uh, rules to follow. There were things that you could do to really uh, encourage the church to follow along what you're saying because they were appointed by Christ Jesus himself. And so if you remember Paul's story, he interacted with Christ on the road to Damascus. He, he saw Jesus Christ commission him to go be an apostle under his authority. And so in almost er, in every one of Paul's letters, except for this one, he is using that apostolic authority. He's saying, hey, I am Paul. I am an authoritative person. You should listen to what I'm writing and follow. In this one, though, you see a little bit of a different approach. He doesn't call himself an apostle. In fact, he just kind of gets right into the letter that he and Timothy are kind of co-writing this and that there's a certain couple of things that they want to do within that, right? And so there's this really, really cool kind of fascinating thing where instead of seeing this apostolic authority, we get to kind of see a Christian to a Christian, all right, y'all tracking with that? We get to see just one Christian brother who knows and loves the Lord, Paul, to another Christian brother who knows and loves the Lord, Philemon. So we get a little bit of a glimpse as to what relationship was like back in the first century AD. Uh, Paul lays down his authority on purpose. He even alludes to it in the letter that he has authority, but he's laying it down so that they can just talk brother to brother. All right, so they can just be uh, having a candid conversation about something that's important in the life of the church. And so it's a very different book in right off the get-go in ways like that. Another way that I think is very uh, interesting and very uh, kind of fascinating is that he's writing not just to Philemon, but he's also writing to the church in Philemon's house, right? Now, this is a personal letter. It's a direct letter, okay? But he wants the whole church to be able to see exactly what's going on. And so he says, hey, to Philemon, I'm writing mainly to you, and also to, it's probably his wife, and maybe even his son, were the two other names, Aphia, it's probably his wife. I'm writing to you, but also to the whole church that meets in your house, and I think that the reason that Paul does that is because what he's about to say to Philemon has unbelievable implications for the church as a whole. I think that there are unbelievably rich gospel truths that he knows if Philemon actually acts upon these principles, it will edify the church to an extent that a sermon or other things just simply cannot do. What I mean by that is when you hear something preached, it's a good idea. When you see it lived out, it be, it's really, really real in your life right? Like we could do a sermon on forgiveness and it could sound good and you can think, yeah, it's really, really good. But when you see somebody forgiving somebody who's very unforgivable, it does something to you. You see something different. And so Paul is writing both to Philemon as an individual, but also to the church as a whole so that they will begin to see the beauty of what he's going to call them to do. All right. Now, I want to say a couple of things, kind of getting right off the bat, um, because I don't want it to be a distraction for us throughout the letter. 
although bringing it up, I will admit, probably may be a distraction because some of you may not have even thought about this, all right? Um, but I want to bring up the whole issue of uh, slavery and, and what that looks like because Paul's going to be talking about it, but he does not explicitly condemn slavery in this letter or really in any of his letters per se. Now, because we live in America and because we live on this side of slavery, we live post-slavery, I think that, and we've been able to see the horrors of it in ways that really many other people may have not come to an understanding of or maybe have not even seen it in the way that we've seen it, we feel very, very sensitive about this issue, and rightly so. We should, as Christians, I think in particular, we should deeply desire there to be a reconciliation of race because of who we are in Christ. And so it's hard to imagine for a lot of us why Paul would not tackle this issue head on because he's writing to a slave master who had a runaway slave. And so why would he not immediately address this issue, okay? Here's what I'm going to say about the topic of slavery uh, today in the sermon. Nothing. <laughs> All right? Not today at least, okay? And here's why. I don't want it to be a distraction, which is why I'm drawing it out. Uh, I don't think that we have the time to tackle it well looking at this book. All right? I think that we would have to spend another week on this book uh, than we already are. And I think that there are other places in Scripture that speak to it even better than this book does. Okay? I think that Scripture has a massively strong stance against slavery or the owning of or possessing of humans as property by any means from the Old Testament until Jesus. I think it has a strong stance against it a very strong stance against it. Matter of fact, when we look at the book of Colossians as a church, because we will at some point moving forward, that's one of the books on our short list. We're going to tackle it sometime soon. We're going to spend a whole week isolating this and talking about the implications of it, uh, why God kind of allowed it in the first place, what's going on there. And I think that Paul, who wrote Colossians as well, has very massive implications as to uh, his desire not to see slavery happen because we were creating the Imago Dei, the image of God. Every single one of us are image bearers. We all have the DNA of the Lord wrapped within who we are. And Paul knows that and doesn't want us to uh, be, be uh, uh, enslaved in that way because that's not showing forth who God is in his character. So I think Paul has very massive things to say about it. Not just Paul, but scripture in general, okay? The second thing I'll say is that if this is something that is bothersome to you, if you want to know more about this, if you really are wrestling with this and, and want to figure out a little bit more like, hey, I, I don't really know, like why does scripture. Maybe it's one of the things that you've heard in the past where people say, well, I can't believe in the Bible because of blank. Like I said, I think that scripture condemns it and wants it done away with. I think that the reason it was condemned and done away with was under the authority of the gospel. If you look at all of the movements, they all birthed out of a Christian influence because I think that they saw the scriptures and realized our equality and our value together, okay? But if you're interested, if you want to know more, email me this week, okay? And I promise that I will send you an email back and I'll explain in as best detail as I can over email why I think that scripture is against slavery, why I think that scripture is for the unity and the equality of all people, all right? One hint of warning though, if you email me, it's going to be a long email. All right, like I am going to write you back a very long response, okay, because I want to make sure it's thorough as we walk through it, all right? So we cool with that? Yes? Okay, so 
for today, what I want to do is I want us to get and look at this great relationship that Scripture actually lays out and the way the gospel is even portrayed through it, okay? So I'm not going to lie. As I was preparing for this, I was not ready for the richness that is in this text. Like, I knew that Philemon was great, and I even knew some gospel implications, but as I started studying the past couple of weeks, it has been flooring me about how much beauty is wrapped up within this book. I actually wish I could preach next week's sermon too, all right? But Bob will be back from Brazil, and he'll probably have cool stories to share, and so he's going to teach that. But um, today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be focusing more so on Onesimus and Paul, all right? And next week, Bob is going to be focusing more so on Philemon. What we're going to be focusing on today is gospel usefulness, and you'll see why I use that phrase in a second, gospel usefulness, and what Bob will be focusing more so on next week is forgiveness. I'm going to cover Philemon just a little bit. He'll probably cover Onesimus just a little bit, but for the most part, Paul, Onesimus, and the idea of gospel usefulness is what we're going to be uh, walking through today, all right? So here we go. We read verse 1 through 3, verse 4. I thank my God always... When I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So Philemon is a pretty great guy, is what Paul is saying in all this, right? Notice that Paul says that he loves Philemon, and he actually loves that Philemon loves all of the saints. Not some of the saints, not the saints he can get along with well, not the ones that look like him, but Philemon loves all of the saints. Most commentators and most Christian historians say that Philemon was an extremely hospitable man, and also one of those men who you probably just really liked being around because of who he was attracting. Do you know those people who you just really enjoy being? around, like they come into the room and you kind of smile a little bit. They make you feel comfortable. They make you feel welcome. There's a lot of people in our church, honestly, that are like that. I feel like where you just feel love. Philemon was probably one of those types of guys. The church met in his house. It says that he refreshed the saints when they saw him. Their spirits were made alive again is what that word uh, connotates in the Greek. And so there's all these just beautiful things about Philemon. Philemon loved the church. Not only this, but he also sought to build up the church. You see that? Where by sharing the gospel and by preaching to the lost, it says in verse 6, and then by refreshing the saints, it says in verse 7, Philemon sought to really be a builder of the church. And so there's a sense of verse 6 here, if you look at it again, that the sharing of your faith actually brings you into a deeper knowledge of God. Like that's one of the possible interpretations of that verse where uh, as you share your faith, you will actually grow in the knowledge of God. Now, I say a possible translation because in the Greek, you can actually flip it and make it mean the reverse, where as you know the Lord more and more, you will be more prone to share your faith, okay? So whichever it is, whether it's as you know the Lord more and more, you'll share your faith, or as you share your faith, you'll know the Lord more and more, the implications are the exact same. Right, that the sharing of the faith actually draws us into intimacy with God. We fall more in love with him, where we understand him more, or it's an evidence of our love for him as we begin to share the faith. And this is what Philemon did. Philemon both shares his faith, and he also builds up the church. In Paul writing this, we see, too, that Paul has a deep love for the church and wants her to be built up. 
Paul wants the church to grow. He wants the church to be edified. He said that it is his joy and his comfort that Philemon is actually building up the church there. Paul, up to this point, had not even visited Colossae, yet he has such an affection for the people of God. He longs for the people of God to know the Lord more and more. Paul cares about the church. So, One implication I think we can get from these verses is that if you want to be a church leader, if you want to be somebody in the kingdom that is a leader for Christ the King, I think that you have to care about the growth of the church in width through evangelism and the growth of the church in depth through refreshing or through edification of the saints. Are y'all tracking with that? Like, I don't think that you can only desire to use your gifts just because you have those gifts to use them and that's it. Like, I think that in the using of your gifts, if you want to be used by God correctly, you should desire deeply for the church to be built up. And so if you're a teacher, you shouldn't just want to teach because you like teaching, though praise the Lord if he's given you that gift, but you should want to teach so that those who don't know Jesus can come into relationship with him, that those who do know the Lord may be refreshed in the Lord and may be built up in the Lord. This should be something that stirs your hearts if you want to be a leader like Philemon was. If you love to serve or if you play music and you want to lead in worship or whatever it may be, you should desire to see the church being built up in the process, that your gifts will be used for the edification of the church. And so as an important side note, I think that it's important to ask yourself, are you growing both in a love for God and a love for his people where you want to see the lost one and the church built up in Christ? Are you growing in that? Is that something that's stirring in your heart? When you think about the church, are you thinking about the church being built up in the love of Christ? Is that something that stirs your affections? Because it should. Paul says it was his joy. Paul said, this is what I love about you most, Philemon. You're you're a good leader because you're building up the church in in, in width and in depth and evangelism edification. You're building her up. And so, so should you desire to build her up. Verse eight, let's keep reading. Accordingly, actually, let's stop right there. (laughs) Paul is saying, okay, because you love the saints, because you seek to build up the church, I want to ask you something very specific and very special. That's that word accordingly, okay? Or accordingly can mean like in light of this truth, right? Like accordingly, or because of what I've just said about you, I'm going to ask you something. I'm going to ask something from you. And I want you to do it because of who you are. Like I know that you're this man. And so I want to see it happen. When somebody says this about you, like when they start off a conversation like that, you know it probably means something hard's coming up, right? Like some people call it a love sandwich, you know? Or they're like, I think you're really, really great. There's this thing, but I think you're really, really great, <laughs> right? Like, man, you're just a great giver. I love how sacrificial you are with your money. You bless so many people. You know, in light of this truth, I was wondering if you could support the church in this way, right? Like that's usually what happens. That's kind of what Paul is doing here. He's saying, Philemon, you're a great dude. You love the saints. You, you build them up. You, you want the lost to come in. You want the church to be edified. In light of this truth, listen to what I'm going to ask you. Keep reading. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, Paul's an apostle, he could command, right? Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now, and a prisoner for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to me and, or to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. 
I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted uh, from you for a while that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me. And how much more to you, and both, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Okay, there's lots lots of good stuff here. Firstly, notice how much Paul cared for Onesimus. Paul had a deep affection for him. In verse 10, he calls him his son, right? There are only two other individuals that Paul calls his son. It's Timothy and Titus. Now, he calls groups of individuals, like the church of Thessalonica, he says he became like a father to them. So he called a whole group. But of individuals, there was only two other people that Paul called his sons, Timothy and Titus, and now Onesimus. When you make a list with Timothy and Titus, whose names are books in the Bible, you know that you're in a special list. And Paul had a deep affection for him. In verse 12, he says that he had Paul's very heart. In verse 13, Onesimus is called a co-laborer with Paul. And in verse 16, he's called a beloved brother of Paul's. We see a lot of family relations here, by the way, which is important to remember. Hold on to that fact that Paul is drawing a lot of family relationship to him and Onesimus. That'll be important later. We see a lot of family. We see a lot of co-working, right? Paul has a deep, deep love for Onesimus. Onesimus was dear to Paul's very heart. Now, Onesimus had run away from and very likely stolen from Philemon when he ran away from him. It's very, very likely most of the slaves back in the day that were runaway slaves would steal from their master so that they could survive for a while while they tried to hide somewhere on their own. So they would go into kind of the middle of nowhere, hoping that they never got caught, or they would go into very, very populated cities like Rome, which is probably where Paul and Onesimus met. Sometimes they would be jailed, and we see that Paul is in jail. And so who knows, maybe he even met Onesimus in jail, speaking even more to this man's negative character. Right, like there's something going on here, but they probably met, and we see that when he left, he was not a Christian. Like that is really evident in this text. He was not saved. He did not know the Lord when he ran away from Philemon. And so what Paul is asking for Philemon to do is both to forgive Onesimus from running away, but also that he would set Onesimus free. That he would set Onesimus free so that Paul could actually use him for ministry is what he's saying. In fact, look at verse 15 here again. Paul is actually calling on God's sovereignty in the midst of Onesimus' salvation. He says, perhaps this is why Onesimus was allowed to run away from you. Maybe this is why the Lord himself, Paul is saying, allowed Onesimus to actually go and hurt your business, Philemon, or steal from your personal possessions, Philemon. Maybe the reason the Lord caused what felt negative to happen to you is so that this man could actually get saved and become useful for ministry, which is important, okay, because Paul actually doesn't know, which is fascinating to me. He says, I, I, don't, I don't really know if this is what God was doing, but perhaps this is what God was doing. And so a lot of times I think that in our struggles or bad things that are happening to us, we can kind of forget about the sovereignty of God and say, why is God doing this? Maybe it's for the salvation of the edification of someone else. 
Maybe God is allowing something negative to happen to you so that great positive can happen in the future. We see that with Joseph. We see that with Job. That's one of the common themes throughout scripture. So Paul is drawing on that common theme and saying, maybe Philemon, this is what was happening to you. Now, maybe the Lord not only allowed it for his salvation, but now his great usefulness in ministry. Apparently, Onesimus had become really useful to Paul for the building up of the gospel. Like Paul loved this man. He called him a a co-laborer. He seems to be really crushing it for the king, right? Like Onesimus seems to be a solid worker. In fact, there's something going on in the Greek here that's really hard to see in the English. Okay, so we'll nerd out a little bit. All right, put your nerd glasses on, okay? Now what's going on is that Paul's being clever with Onesimus' name. It's kind of Paul's attempt at spoken word, okay? That was kind of a joke, but that's all right. Um, Onesimus in the Greek means useful, that's what that word means. It can be translated as useful, okay? So if you look back in verse 11 again, you see Paul doing a great play on words here. He says that Onesimus became useless to Philemon, forsaking his very name and who he was, but now he was extremely useful once again because of his work in the gospel, kind of fulfilling his very name in the gospel in a far greater sense. See, before, Onesimus was just good because he may have been making Philemon money. Maybe he ran a business for him. You know, we, we can't think about slavery the way that it was in America a lot times they had a lot of authority underneath their master's uh, charge. So maybe he ran a business, maybe he was over a huge crop field or whatever it may have been. And this one was useful, then became useless, Paul said, but now became useful and even that much more useful because he's now a Christian able to carry out the gospel on behalf of Paul and Philemon. Part of the reason why Onesimus is useful is likely because of Paul's investment into his life, by the way. I want you to think about that right? Like Onesimus had probably not a whole lot of Christian understanding, or clearly he probably robbed, he probably was in jail. There's probably a lot of negative things about him. And then Paul, we see he has a ton of love for this man. We know that Paul is a discipleship machine. When people are around him, he pours his heart, he pours his life into him. We see, he said, Onesimus has my very heart. I poured what I am into him. I I gave myself to him. And Onesimus responded by being extremely helpful to Paul in ministry and advancing the gospel. Something that both Paul and Philemon wanted desperately, by the way. Remember, Philemon, in light of you wanting the advancement of the church, look at who Onesimus is now. He is advancing the gospel. He is being used I think if you want to be a useful worker for the Lord, okay, you want to have the evangelism and the edification of the church, for the church to grow in depth and width like it was for Philemon. But I also think that it's important for you to have men and women investing into your life. That's what we see Onesimus here where Paul is investing into his life. He has his very heart. He's a co-laborer. You need men and women that are blessing you in this way. Just like it's important for you to desire the growth of the church, it's important for you to desire the growth of yourself through other men and women around you. Just this past week on Wednesday, as I was prepping for this actually, uh, I talked to my old pastor for about an hour and a half and he told me like nine separate times, I was actually for whatever reason, a little bit like uh, distraught that day. I'm very emotional, so it's not easy for me to be distraught and then be on a super high high and then a low low again, all right? So something probably happened. I was like, oh man, what's going on in life, right? And we talked and he told me on nine separate occasions, like I started counting as he was telling me, just because I was kind of like, man, this dude is a great encourager. Tori, I love you. I'm proud of you. I mean, you're a good man. You're, I love you, Tori. Good job, man. And he kept saying this over and over and over again. 
Because I'm a pastor and because I like to encourage people, I knew exactly what he was doing, right? Like he even, he even asked me some questions that he already knew the answer to so that I can answer it so that he could tell me he was encouraged in me. Like I knew what he was doing. And for whatever reason, it was deeply edifying to me. And I felt like I was able to get back into the text with a whole new fresh mind, right? Matt Party was loving me well through this. I knew his tricks and it was still blessing me, right? Every week, almost, about almost every week, I meet with Bob Christensen, another one of my mentors here, and he blesses me like crazy with wisdom. He challenges me. He encourages me. See, little do you all know, but really this church is actually being run by Matt Party, Bob Christensen, and Chad Frank, right? Like my three biggest mentors, and then a plethora of other men and women in my life who have poured into me, who have invested into me. Like that's who's really running this church, all right? Because left to myself, I'm a pretty foolish, silly dude, and I don't think I would have the ability to do that, but because these men, like Paul, loved me and because they poured their life into me, because they gave me their very heart, they have helped me to begin to do that. I probably do about 1.7% in this church. The rest of it is them, right? Or our elders right now who bless us, who love us, who pray for me, who challenge me. Other men in my life who some of them may be, maybe even I'm discipling, but they also pour up into me. Like there's an importance of being poured into in ministry. And so if you want to be used by God, if there is a sense where you want to see the church grow, I think an important thing for this is for you to be poured into as well for you to be blessed in that way. And you have to be open, you have to seek it, you have to desire it. But I think this is so valuable, so important to be used in ministry. Now in Onesimus's life, we actually see this beautiful, beautiful picture of the gospel. And I need you to hone in with me on this point here, okay? There's a beautiful picture of the gospel here. Paul is showing us something sweet and something very wonderful about the gospel through relationships of Onesimus and Philemon and himself. Onesimus had a pretty messed up past. All right, like that's what we can pretty much agree on. In fact, we can't be certain, like I said earlier, but they may have even met in prison because Paul was in and out of prison, right? And that could be a very easy place for him to meet and to spend a lot of time with. Because you know Paul was busy, he was planning churches, he was trying to build up the churches. It seems like he spent a lot of time with this dude. And maybe have been behind bars even. Nismus had a mess up past. He ran away from Philemon. He likely stole from him. And then he was pretty low in a societal perspective. So it wasn't like Paul should go be seeking this guy out. He was a runaway of already the lowest class of humans. And so he had a low stance from a societal perspective. He was probably pretty a lowly guy from just a moral perspective. Under the law, Onesimus deserved punishment. Under the law at the time. Because he had run away, Onesimus deserved to be punished, to be used as an example to others. You can't do this. Right? Like that's, that's what should have happened there. He disobeyed his master and deserved to be punished for it. Now, however, because of his new faith in Christ, it has changed him completely. He was once useless, now he is useful, Paul says. There's a 180 degree difference. He's a completely different man. Right? In a very similar way, I think that a lot of you and I for sure can relate to this. Many of you have a very jacked up past. Amen? <laughs> right? Like, I don't know if you know that, but like, you have a pretty messed up past a lot of ways. Now, we try to cover over that a lot and paint it out like everything's okay, right? But maybe you struggle in a lot of ways with, with, with addictions to, to drugs or to alcohol. Maybe even currently still kind of wrestling through that a little bit, right? Maybe you have an addiction to men and women and desiring to feel intimacy and love, not from your creator, but from his creation. And so you give yourself away sexually over and over and over again, looking for that love. 
And you feel it. You feel the weight of that at times. Maybe you're addicted to porn or addicted to other sexually perverse things, right? Maybe uh, you just really struggle with anger and you feel kind of the weight of that, the dirtiness of that. Maybe you've even been abusive before to others around you, to family, to, to a spouse even. Maybe there's something that you're struggling. Maybe uh, you have just a huge amount of greed, right? Like there's never enough in your hands. So you got to get more and more and more and you'll cheat or lie or step on anybody in the way in order to get what you think that is rightfully yours, what you deserve in this desire for greed. Maybe you've done things that you're deeply shameful of. Like if you actually stop for a second and begin to think about your past, maybe when you were a teenager, maybe when you were in college, where you feel there's like a weight that you can feel matter of fact you try your hardest not to think about those things because it makes you feel this weight it makes you feel this way right maybe you've even walked away from the lord or walked away from the faith before and you called yourself a christian and said i'm done with this man and you start walking in a different way you feel brokenness you feel dirty when you think about the things you've done do you see what this story is representing here for us if you're in that boat Do you see what this story is representing for us? Onesimus had a messed up past, but is now being used greatly by the Lord. So much so that Paul, Paul, okay, the great apostle Paul, one of the greatest men to ever live, is calling Onesimus his ambassador. He said, I want to send him out to represent me, Paul says. In other words, to represent the message I've been given, Onesimus was running so hard that he began to look and reflect the great apostle Paul, though he had a messed up past. And if you have a messed up past, by having faith in Christ, following hard after him, you too can be used greatly for the king. You can be used greatly for the king. Y'all must not have had as messed up passes as me. That deserved at least one or two amens. Amen? You can be used by the king of the universe. The God of the universe longs to use you and me who have messed up and spit in his face over and over and over again. Like Onesimus, when we live in that, we become useless, but in Christ, we can be useful again. That is a beautiful truth of the gospel. Your life can have value, can have meaning, can have purpose again. God can use you greatly for the kingdom. In fact, Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, he gives this beautiful picture of the gospel. He says, you were lost, but by grace through faith, you can be saved. And then in verse 10, he gives us this great, great gospel truth. He says that you are God's workmanship, or the Greek word God's poema. You're his poetry, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared for you in advance. In other words, if you are a Christian, if you believe by grace through faith in Christ, God has actually created you. He's prepared you to be useful for good works, to be an Onesimus, a useful man, a useful woman for the sake of the kingdom, that we could do great work for the king of the universe. How beautiful is that? Because if your boss came to you and said, you're one of my most useful employees, I want to promote you to be over this whole company, matter of fact. And I want you to just crush it. You would feel a great sense of honor. The king of the universe has come to you and said, you are useful. I'm gonna draw you in, you who were once useless, give you my spirit, pour out my love to you, wanna build you up and I wanna use you. I want you to represent me. Second Corinthians 5, we're ambassadors of Jesus. Now, just like Onesimus was an ambassador for Paul. We could be used for the sake of the king. 
Paul goes before Onesimus' master, Philemon, and asks him to be released for the use of ministry and forgiveness for his past transgressions. And so is true with you. Christ goes before our master, God the Father, and asks for our forgiveness and then gives us the Holy Spirit, equips us with gifts so that we could be used for ministry. Do you see the beautiful picture here of the gospel? Okay, but here's where I'm about to punch something and get emotional. It gets better, okay? Finish this book, verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Remember the gospel implications we're talking about here. Receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Very tactful, Paul. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. What is this benefit? Refresh my heart in Christ. Just like you refresh all the other saints, refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, Paul's not saying that in jest. He's not trying to force him. He's saying, I know you to be a godly man. I know who you are. Confident in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. I think there's an implication behind that. We don't have time to talk about that today. And the same, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Articus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Okay, first point, don't name your kid Demas. It sounds too close like demon, all right? <laughs> Secondly, okay, In verse 17, Paul is now telling Philemon that he wants Onesimus to be sent as his personal representative, as his ambassador. We've talked about that, right? I want to send Onesimus. I want you to give him back to me that I may send him out to to be my ambassador, okay? Um, I don't want to steal Bob's thunder for next week, uh, but I will for a second. So I guess I do want to steal his thunder for the next week. Uh, It does look like Philemon actually forgave, because in Colossians chapter 4, I think it's in verse 19. You can go look at that. Colossians 4, 18, 19, 20, somewhere in that section. Onesimus is carrying the letter to Colossae. Now, Paul wouldn't have disobeyed the law of the day and kind of snuck him to carry it, then brought him back, then sent him to Philemon to ask for forgiveness. That's kind of like it's better to ask for forgiveness than to... Uh... There you go. Whatever y'all said. <laughs> All right. He, Paul wouldn't do that, Okay. And so Paul likely sent him, and then Philemon sent him back. And then Paul sending out Onesimus to be useful for the sake of the gospel. What a beautiful transformation, okay? He went from being a useless runaway slave to an ambassador of one of the greatest men that should ever live. And this should give you hope that God can use you despite what your past may look like. Because in Christ, you're a new creation. And God has given you the spirit, given you gifts to send you out, to be an ambassador of his, to exalt the king, to make much of his name, to build into other disciples, to impact the world for the sake of his glory. Paul, or, or God himself has sent you into this, okay? And I'm probably gonna get a little bit too emotional. Look at this, this is so freaking good. Look at this, okay? Verse 18 and 19, look at that again. And this shows us a second sweet, sweet picture of the gospel. Paul, like Christ, is willing to pay the debts of Onesimus. Do you see that there? Paul, just like Jesus Christ, for us, is willing to pay the debts for Onesimus. He says, if he owed you anything, then charge it to my account. Because Philemon was still owed, right? Like his business suffered or he got stolen from personally or whatever it may have been. Like Philemon was still owed. 
And so Paul's saying, I want you to charge that to my account. Because I call Onesimus my very son, I'm willing to, as his father, pay you back. Because he's my beloved brother, because he has my very heart, I am willing to give back to you what he took from you. Similarly, God in his holiness could not overlook our sin. You and I have sinned and offended a holy, perfect, righteous God who created us for his treasure, for his glory, that we would be his people. And we said, no, I want to be my own God. And we went our own way and we spat in his face when we do that. And every time we sin, that's what it is, a spit in the face to God. Because God is just, he cannot just overlook sin. Just go, you know what, whatever, just who cares, who cares? We'll just swipe it under the rug. No, sin has to be paid for. Like there's still a debt that is owed. Just like for Philemon, he he still had a loss. God has a, there, there's a debt that is owed, right? Just like Philemon should have punished Onesimus, so God should punish us. Except somebody was willing to step in our place. Just like Paul was willing to step in the place of Onesimus and say, I'll give you what, you, what he owes you. So Christ Jesus was willing to step in our place. Amen? That is a great, great, great gospel news, right? That Jesus, you owed a debt to the Lord, and Jesus came and stepped in your place, not only to pay for your sin, but then to invite you in as family. That God the Father would be your very father, just like Paul was Onesimus' father. That Jesus Christ, the king of the world, would be your beloved brother, just like Paul and Onesimus were now brothers, Jesus Christ did exactly what Paul is representing for us. That doctrine there is a, a fancy theological term. We call it imputation, the doctrine of imputation. To impute means to, to credit to an account, right? Our account was nothing. It was useless. Christ said, give that to me. And he paid for you and I's sins, was treated the way that you and I should have been treated, and then at the same time said, give them what's owed to me. What's due, like, like, give them me, my righteousness. And we became perfect. We were imputed the righteousness of Christ that we may look like him, be called into the family. Paul is asking Philemon to represent the gospel here. That Onesimus, that he would show Onesimus. The same thing that Paul's probably been preaching to Onesimus. Paul's probably been telling that man, look, there's imputation. Look, there's forgiveness. Look, there's newness in Christ. You could be used. And then he calls Philemon and says, can you live out as an example of this for me? Can you show our brother in Christ now what it looks like to be made new in him, right? Just the same way Jesus was punished for our sins so that when we believe in him, we're treated as a beloved son. And just as Paul was not responsible for Onesimus' sins, so Christ is not responsible for yours and mine. But at the same time, he paid for it anyway because of his great loves for us, goes before the Father, our master, asks for forgiveness. Not only does he ask for forgiveness, then he asks for you to come back to him to be used for his glory. He says, hey, now send him back. It's not enough just to forgive him. I want to use him now in ministry. I want him to go out before me. Okay, what a great joy. So my question as we close today, is to ask, are you being useful for the sake of the gospel? I know useful is a strong word, but that's the, that's the word that Paul's using here, okay? He's doing a play on words. So are you being used by the king? Are you being useful for the sake of the gospel? Are you giving yourself, Christ purchased you to use you? He wants to use you. He doesn't need to, okay? Paul could have discipled 500 other men probably, but he wants to use Onesimus in the same way Christ wants to use you for his glory, one of the reasons that Jesus went before the Father to ask for your forgiveness is so that he can use you in the kingdom. He can give you his spirit, give you the gifts of the spirit, and let you go out before him. The New Testament is littered with this truth. 
That's true throughout the whole New Testament. So some of you, I imagine, may not have actually ever even placed your faith in Christ in the first place, okay? There is still a debt that you have that you owe the master. And what my encouragement for you today would be, believe in Jesus. Jesus says that he can give you a new heart, a new life. All that guilt, the things that you don't like about your past, the things that make you kind of a messed up person inside that you try to hide. Jesus says he can wipe that clean, that that could be credited to his account. He can give you righteousness. God wants you to have a relationship with him, the God of the universe. And so if you don't know the Lord, I would encourage you, man, just profess faith in Christ. Desire to follow hard after him. He's where joy is found. He's where life is found. He's what can make you useful for the kingdom. Can give you value. Find value in him. If you do know Christ, my question would be, are you doing things to be used by the king? Or are you trying to maintain your own life again? Are you willing to lay it down for the sake of the king? Are you willing to go out and make much of his name? Because his name deserves all the honor and all the praise and all the glory forever and ever. He has given you righteousness. Let us make much of his name. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would grow in our love for the lost, that we would grow in our love for the saints like Philemon had. I pray that we would be seeking people to pour into us, God. (laughs) that we would be built up, that we would be edified, that we would be like an Onesimus, Lord. God, I pray that if there are people in here today who are really still wrestling with you, God, the faith, there's still a, a debt that's owed. Even right now, Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts to show you desire relationship. You've made a way through Christ Jesus. We can have the forgiveness of our sins. Be given your righteousness. God, please do that in our hearts. God, I pray that for those of us who do know you, Jesus, that we would realize that you take messed up things and make them whole. You take messed up things and make them brand new in you, Christ. Help us to find that in you. I pray that this church would impact the world for the glory of your name, Jesus. I thank you for the story. I thank you for the, the, the ability to see the gospel even lived out amongst people. Let us ourselves live out the gospel in our life. In your precious and beautiful name we pray. Amen.